0: Revelation chapter 19 tonight. So let me say once again, uh, before we get into our study tonight, that I did not enter into this decision for this to be the last public service lightly. Uh, I felt like I, I... kept us going as long as I possibly could, but we were also getting to a place where we even didn't have the support system in place to be able to sustain our Sundays and Wednesdays uh, in many respects. And uh, so, yeah, I've I've got an ache in my heart. Um, I think what bothers me more than anything is that Even for Christians, there's so many who are focused on a physical virus, but missing a spiritual crisis that's taking place right now. Uh, I I see a real crisis of faith in our world today. Uh, So many are making decisions out of fear. Um, So many are being driven by their fear. And I'll even say this, I believe that so many are making decisions not out of faith. And something very challenging that we as Christians need to remember is Paul says, whatever decisions we make that's not of faith is sin. Look it up. Romans fourteen twenty-three. Whatever is not of faith is sin. In other words, if I am not convinced that this is what God wants me to do and that this is something that God approves of, the Bible calls it sin. And I think way too many Christians are making decisions based upon what this person says and what this group says and whatever, but what about what God wants you to do? And that's part of where I've been wrestling the last couple of weeks. I needed to get to a place where I was fully convinced in my own mind that this is what God wanted me to do because one day I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account as the pastor of this church of the decisions that I have made. And I will have to give an account for this one. And so I better make sure that me and God are okay. And so that's where I'm at. I don't like it. Because frankly, I I think that as the church in general, I'm not just talking about the Oasis Church. I'm thinking we are taking some steps backwards that it might take a very long time or we might not ever recover from. And as far as praying, and I know Nicole mentioned this, as far as praying for each other and whatever, Let's not only keep each other in mind, let's keep our other brothers and sisters in Christ in mind in other churches, because I am firmly convinced that just like with many businesses that will not survive this season, I think that there are going to be many churches that will not survive this as well, and they will go under. Um, And you can be praying for me, not, not just in that respect, but in the last week I've had a lot of opportunities to have conversations not only with local pastors who are struggling but also pastors in other parts of the country who are struggling too and pray that i can be an encouragement to them as i seek to continue to be an encouragement to you and be your shepherd Uh, you will see in that email that goes out to everybody in our database again tomorrow some of the things that we're going to do in the meantime until we can start meeting again to try to bring encouragement and refreshment into your life. So not only the live stream of the Wednesday night service and the Sunday service, Nicole and I will be doing each week for as long as we need to. I will be starting a daily blog that will go out onto the website that I hope will be an encouragement to you that you can read every day and share with others. I am also offering to meet with anybody who is maybe struggling or just needs to talk or process. I will be glad to do that. Um, and that we just need to, as a body, uh, just be looking after each other and praying for each other during this time. So, if I don't get to see your face for a while, just know I love you and I'm gonna miss seeing you, but let's just pray that this doesn't take too long. Revelation 19, good passage to remind ourselves about the Lord because. Obviously, the book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. God doesn't tell us all the stuff that's going to happen before a lot of this does happen, but he does tell us how it's going to end. And guess what? The ending is good. Jesus wins. The followers of Christ wins. The book of Revelation reminds us that history is his story. He's the one ultimately writing it. That he has a plan and purpose for the things that he does and for the things that he allows to happen. And nothing catches God off guard. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come in power and great glory and he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years and you and I are going to be a part of that kingdom. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're looking at the definitive passage in the Bible that teaches us about what we call the second coming of Christ. It is different from the rapture because the rapture and the second coming are separated by seven years. The rapture, we have no idea when that's gonna take place. It could happen at any time. And there's nothing in history or nothing prophetically that needs to happen before the rapture happens. But once the rapture happens, then the Bible teaches that we enter into, as we're up in heaven, a seven-year tribulation period on the earth, culminating at the end in what the Bible describes as a battle of Armageddon or at Armageddon. It's not really a battle, but Jesus Christ shows up at the end of that battle and literally puts down, as we're going to see tonight, all earthly rebellion against him. And the nations of this world become the nation of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Now here's the cool thing about tonight's passage as well. There aren't many places in the Bible where you and I can read and go, I'm in there. But tonight is one of those passages where one day you're going to go, I, I'm part of this. I'm in this because the saints of God who go to heaven at the rapture are going to come back with him at the second coming. So that means you and I are in this passage. Let's look at it tonight. Revelation chapter 19. I want to begin at verse 11. We're just going to read verses 11 through verse 16 tonight. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and here came a white horse, The one riding it was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and goes to war. His eyes are like a fiery flame, and there are many diadem crowns on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself, and he is dressed in clothing dipped in blood, and he is called the Word of God. The armies that are in heaven, dressed in white clean, fine linen, were following him on white horses. I believe that's partly you and I. From his mouth extends a sharp sword so that with it he can strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod and he stomps the winepress of the furious wrath of God, the all-powerful. He has a name written on his clothing and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, right before we began reading this passage tonight, I just want you to direct your eyes to what's right above it in the end of verse 10. And then I want to start going down through this passage on the second coming of Christ. Because at the end of verse 10, John gives us instruction as believers that we should worship God. The word worship here means to bow down, to bow before, to adore on bended knee. We should be living a life of worship. A life of worship that starts in our heart a heart that adores God, a heart that understands the greatness and the goodness of God, a heart that wants to bring all of our life before him and in a sense surrender and submit to our God. And then he goes on to say, and oh, by the way, the testimony about Jesus, the one where I'm getting ready to tell you is coming one day to set up his glorious kingdom on this earth. The testimony about Jesus is the spirit of all prophecy, meaning It is the driving force, it is the driving influence of everything God reveals about the future because it exalts Jesus Christ and reminds us that the one who came first of all in humiliation in Bethlehem as a little baby and grew up and allowed uh, those that he created to literally put him on a cross and crucify him and kill him is now the one who's coming in power and great glory and going to rule and reign on the earth, you see. So when you and I think about even the Word of God and all of that, let's remember what's it really supposed to inspire in our lives? What's it supposed to motivate? Worship. Again, that's why the Word of God and the worship of God complement each other. Because the more I know about my God, the more I want to worship Him. The more I want to adore Him. I I want to bow before Him the more I want to offer myself and all that I am, all that I will ever be to Him. Because that's the drive. Not, not learning more facts or accumulating more information biblically. That's great if we have that information, but if it doesn't change our heart towards God, if it doesn't make us a more zealous, devoted worshiper, then we're missing something. We're missing that connection. Notice in verse 11, John says, Then I saw. Now, yes, he saw in a vision with, with, in a sense, eyes, but John is using a word here that speaks more about a spiritual vision than physical vision. It's perceiving something, because it obviously hasn't happened yet. It's, it's, it's a glimpse into the future that God is giving John the Apostle while he's on the Isle of Patmos. And it reminds us about something. How important our spiritual vision is, which ties in even to the message on Sunday about spiritual vision and being able to see the things that God wants us to see should be one of the priorities of God's servants, just as our spiritual hearing should be so in tune with God that we hear the things that God wants us to hear. And the Bible even says, without vision, people perish. When, when you and I aren't really locked into God and seeing the things that He wants us to see, again, not just even physically, but, but perceiving and discerning spiritually, then we're missing a great deal. And we should never get our eyes, if you will, spiritually off the Lord, you see. We should always be perceiving and discerning His presence with us, His presence amongst us, His power, His glory, His greatness, His goodness, His might, all of His character, all of His nature. We should constantly be seeing it. Otherwise, we begin to shrink and shrivel up and maybe even not be or become the people of God that we should be. So I want to encourage you tonight in the days ahead to ask God to open up your spiritual eyes and then maybe see God like you've never seen Him before. Here heaven was opened and here came a white horse. The one riding this horse is called Faithful and True. Why? Because he is the true overcomer. Now here's something very interesting. Keep your finger there in Revelation 19.11 and go back to Revelation 6.2. This rider riding a riding a white horse, I can't talk, is not the first rider of a white horse described in the Bible, or in the book of Revelation, for that matter. In Revelation 6, verse 2, John says, so I looked, and guess what? Here came a white horse. The one who rode it had a bow, and he was given a crown, and as a conquer, he rode out to conquer. But my friends, this was not the Lord Jesus Christ on this white horse. This was the Antichrist. We know that for one reason, because in the very next verse, in verse 3, it says, then when the Lamb opened the second seal, so the Lamb is not the one who's riding this white horse described in Revelation 6-2. Why do I bring that up tonight? Because that ties back to why it's so important that you and I have spiritual vision, discernment, and perception. So that we can differentiate and make distinctions in our lives and in the age in which we live. Because Satan has all kinds of counterfeits out there. And just like here, the Bible teaches us, and Paul talks about this in the book of Corinthians to to the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that. We should not marvel even as believers that Satan can come at us like an angel of what? Light. An angel of light. And so we've got to make sure that our spiritual senses are in tune with God because there's so much out there that we need to beware of today because there could be two white horses, if you will, and we better make sure that we choose the right one and the right rider of that white horse. So then if you go back to Revelation 19, I believe it's very clear then that the one riding this white horse in Revelation 19:11 is none other than Jesus. And notice he is called, first of all, faithful. This is the second time Jesus is called faithful in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1, verse 5, he is called the faithful witness. Why does God emphasize that? Because God alone is truly faithful. And we need to be encouraged by that, especially in the days in which we live. That our God, our Jesus, is faithful He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his people. He is a faithful God. Every promise in Jesus is yes and amen. Everything that Jesus said he would do, he will do. And so I want us to also leave here tonight being encouraged even in the the darkness that we live in that there is light because our God is faithful and he will be faithful to us through this season that we're going through. God has brought me back in these last couple weeks to that story of Daniel's friends in the book of Daniel who did not bow and trusted God in the fire. And God kept telling me up until just Yesterday, when I made this decision, don't bow yet. Don't bow yet. Trust me in the fire. So many bow so quickly and easily. Why? Well, because so-and-so said I should. If that's what they're saying, then that's what we need to do. And my thought is, don't I, as a Christian, Don't I first listen to what God wants me to do before I start bowing to what everybody else wants me to do? Even if they say, well, don't you realize there's a furnace there, and it's really hot, and if you go into it, you're going to get burned. Okay, I realize that. And God never promised those friends of Daniel... That they would come out of the fire. But they were willing to go in and even be consumed in the fire. Because to them, it was more important to be faithful to God and to walk by faith than by sight. And guess what? God honored that faith. God delivered them from that furnace. And I love that story because the Bible says when they brought them out of the fire, it says they didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, God not only preserved them, it was like they hadn't even been through it. And I want you to be encouraged with that story tonight. God is faithful. You may feel like in the circumstances that are beyond your control, like somehow you've gotten thrown into a fiery furnace that was not even of your making. Your God is faithful. You keep trusting in Him, and He will bring you through the fire. The other name given to Jesus here is true. This word means that basically what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, he's true to himself. He's true to what he said. He's true. You, you will always know what you get in Jesus. You and I are never going to be surprised. And like, well, I didn't know Jesus was... Now, he's never going to change in the middle of the stream. With human beings and even them with us, there might be times where they don't really know what they're getting. And maybe we don't know what we're getting when we encounter another human being. But with Jesus Christ, he is always true. We always know who we're going to get and what we're going to get with Jesus. Because he's never going to change. Everything that Jesus has always been, Hebrews 13, 8, he always will be. So take heart in that everything Jesus has been to you up to this point in your life, everything he's already brought us through and and done for us and all of that, if he's been that true to us, then then guess what? He's going to be just as true to us in the days ahead. Because that's who he is. He cannot be who he's not. He's true. But Jesus, our Jesus, is also a God of justice. And when he comes the second time, verse 11, he's coming with justice, and he's going to judge the nations of the world who have not fallen in line with his rule and with his reign. You see, his righteous judgment when he comes the second time is the prelude to his righteous reign. He's got to judge and put down all rebellion before he can set up his righteous kingdom. And you and I are not only thankful that our God is faithful and true, but we should be ever thankful that he's a God of justice. As we talked about We should be thankful that we know He's not only going to vindicate Himself, but one day He's going to come and vindicate us as well. We talked about that several weeks ago. He's a God that when He goes to war, you better be on His side. And one day Jesus Christ is coming to literally make war on the earth, to purge it of its sin, of its rebellion. And the world that he's going to restore is going to be a world that you and I are gloriously going to rule and reign with him in for a thousand years. Then verse 12, his eyes are like a fiery flame. I believe Jesus' eyes are pure. I believe when you and I will look into his eyes one day, we will see nothing but love. But I also think that his eyes are absolutely piercing because he's holy. And he sees into everything and he sees through everything. See, he knows. He knows. Because his eyes are like a fiery flame. He knows what's really going on. And I hope you will take comfort in that. You see, to me, this isn't something to be fearful of. This is something to take comfort in, that His eyes are a fiery flame. Because I know His eyes for me are eyes of love because I'm one of His children, just like you. And He died for me. And I'm never going to look into those eyes of Jesus as my Judge, but as my Savior and as my Lord. And one day, all of us are going to look into those beautiful eyes of Jesus Christ and see that love that He has for us. Notice it says, there are many diadem crowns on his head. Once he wore a crown of thorns, but now he is crowned with glory and honor. Why the many crowns? A couple things. One, I believe it shows his right to rule and reign. But secondly, I believe that the many diadem crowns reveal the many facets of the character of his rule. Because... Just like us, there there are many sides to Jesus. You know, we sing the song about him being the lion and the lamb. Doesn't mean he's contradicting himself. It's just a different side of the same person. And even here, you know, we're going to see even in this passage, he can be a warrior, but he can also be a savior and a deliverer. And I think that's why the many diadem crowns. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. Why do we think God chose to put that in there? I think to remind us that there are certain aspects of God that you and I and angels will never know. See, that's what makes God God. He's infinite. And even in heaven, and even in glorified beings, we're never going to be able to fully absorb all that God is. There will always be, and should be, because of how great He is and how infinite he is, a mystery about God. Some things we will never know about Him. I think this also reminds us about, though, that special knowledge that the Godhead shares just between the three of them that, again, isn't for anyone else to know? There are certain things that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share that none of us will ever know about. That's that intimacy, if you will, that only comes from being so close. And you and I understand that principle because there are certain people that we have in our lives, very few, Very few, but there's a few that knows us much better than anyone else, and we only share certain things with those few. Outside of that, the general population doesn't know that. That's what's happening here, you see. Then it says in verse 13, He is dressed in clothing dipped in blood. Again, unlike the first coming of Jesus Christ, this isn't his own blood that is staining his robe that that was there with him as he carried his cross to Golgotha. No, this is the blood of those who refused to bow their knee to him. Notice verse 15, and we'll come back to this verse in just a minute. His mouth extends a sharp sword so that he can strike the nations. And if you keep your finger there and go back to chapter 14, verse 20, a very sobering verse here, even in the book of Revelation, are these words about the battle of Armageddon. It says in verse 20 of Revelation 14, then the winepress was stomped outside the city and blood poured out of the winepress up to the height of horses' bridles for a distance of almost 200 miles. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood to be shed at the battle of Armageddon. But this is not his own blood. This is the blood of those that refuse him. And then verse 13, he is called the word of God. The perfect expression of God to man in a way that you and I as men and women can understand. I love that. It's not just God's expressing himself. It's in a way that we can grasp, that we can understand. The best way to know God, look at Jesus. Learn about Jesus. That's the best way. That's why Jesus even said to his followers when he said, show us the Father, he's like, show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know who God is just by following me and watching me and learning from me. I'm God. You want to know what God's really like? Get to know me. And the same thing is true for us today. We want to know what God is really like. Let's just keep focusing on Jesus Christ. Then as I said earlier, I believe that at verse 14, put your name in there. Let's not go with the armies. Put your own name in there. Jeff, who's in heaven, is now dressed in white clean and fine linen. And I'm following Jesus on a white horse. I don't particularly like to ride horses. I've ridden them several times in my life. But I'm going to enjoy riding that horse because I'm going to be following my Lord back to this earth and watch him put down the nations of the world and set up his earthly kingdom that he's allowing us to be a part of. You see, the, the reason it says the armies is there's two separate armies in view in verse 14. There's the saints and there's the angels, and both are coming back with him at the second coming. We learned about the angelic army in the book of 2 Thessalonians, but also in the book of Jude, we learn about us, the army of God as well. If you go back to the book right before the book of Revelation and go to Jude 14 and 15, look at what Jude writes. Now Enoch, the seventh in descent beginning with Adam, even prophesied of them saying, look, the Lord is coming with thousands and thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict every person of all their thoroughly ungodly deeds that they have committed and of all the harsh words that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He's coming and we are coming with him. Back to chapter 19, verse 15. From his mouth extends a sharp sword, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why is he opening his mouth? So that with it he can strike the nations, literally inflict a fatal blow upon the nations of this world. So that as Revelation 11 says, the nations of this world are going to become the nation of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The passage that Handel wrote his Messiah around. Notice, and I want you to get this tonight, this is precious. It says he will rule them with an iron rod. By the way, before I start at the beginning of that phrase, the word rod can also be translated staff. Why is that important? Because the word rule here is the Greek word poimene. Why is that important? It's the word for pastor or shepherd. You see, when we think of rule, we think of, you know, something harsh, some dictator, something like that. No, the word means one who herds, one who nurtures, or one who tends as a shepherd. That's how Jesus rules, as a shepherd. He's going to be a shepherd even in the kingdom. In fact, I don't know about you, but there's a passage in the Gospel of Luke that we're going to get to several weeks from now when we resume our series in the book of Luke. Because I didn't tell you this, but I'm going to suspend our series in the Gospel of Luke for four weeks, and I'm going to do a special series on Sunday mornings Uh, live streaming out of the prophet Isaiah on how should we handle crisis when it comes into our life. I think it's something that we all need to be reminded of. But I want to take you back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, for just a moment. This is incredible to me. That even in his glory, Jesus Christ by nature is a servant. And I want you to see this. Jesus, I'm going to begin in verse 35. Verse 35. Jesus says to his followers, get dressed for service. In other words, always be ready to serve. And keep your fire for God burning, basically. Be like people waiting for their master to come back from the wedding celebration so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those slaves whom their master finds alert when he returns. I tell you the truth. Don't don't miss this he who's the he the master do you get that not the servants the master will dress himself to serve have them take their place at the table and will come and wait or literally serve them Do you understand what Jesus is teaching here that even in the kingdom Jesus isn't going to stop serving I don't know about you but I'm going to have one of those Peter moments. Lord, no. You shouldn't be washing my feet. And yet that's what Jesus is going to do for each of us. We're not only going to serve him he's going to serve us. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. He's a servant. And he's going to even show us in eternity even as the glorified Christ that it is a high honor, it is dignified, it is worthy to serve others. It is what I, the Lord of glory, does. I serve. And what He calls us to do, to serve. So even here, He's going to shepherd His people. He's going to serve His people. He's going to hurt us. He's going to nurture us. He's going to tend us as a shepherd would with his staff. And yet, notice now, back in verse 15 of Revelation 19, again, the different facets of the same Jesus. Because the same one who's going to shepherd his people is going to be the warrior who stomps the winepress of the furious wrath of God. God, or I should say Christ alone does the work of judgment here. Christ is not going to expect us to judge anyone or anything because judgment of God is not given into our hands. It is God's judgment. He's the one doing the judging. And can I just say too, when I read passages like this, I am just so thankful that Jesus Christ took my judgment upon Himself on the cross and that I'll never have to be judged by Him again because I accepted His sacrifice. He took my judgment. I never have to pay it. You never have to pay it. Eternal life is a free gift. All that men and women would understand the offer that God is making now before it's too late, before a day like this comes. But then He goes on to remind us, I think, of some comforting things as we end this passage tonight. He is the all powerful God I love this word in the Greek language it literally not only speaks about God's sovereignty but it literally means one who holds all things I want you to be encouraged by that statement that true statement of God tonight he holds all things in his very capable hands that means he's holding you and me That means he's holding our church, the oasis. That means he's holding our country and this world and everything. He's holding it all. He is the all-powerful God. And there's never a time where he loses his grip on anything. In fact, Jesus even said, no man is ever going to, or nothing is ever going to be able to pluck you and I out of my Father's hand. Once God has us, he's got us. You remember that in the days ahead. And then verse 16, he has a name, another name, besides the name that no one knew except he himself. Now he has another name written on his clothing and then on his thigh, actually on his person, king of kings and lord of lords. He is the supreme of all kings. He is the superior Lord of all lords. And this phrase means one who has no equal. There's no one like Jesus. No one like him at all. I hope tonight as... Our minds and hearts have been redirected through our worship and through our time in the Word to Jesus, who is the spirit of all prophecy that we will be encouraged. But you know, I don't want to end with the Word tonight. I want to end with worship. So I know I'm putting Nicole on the spot, but I'd like her to come back and just lead us in one more song before we wrap things up tonight, okay? Would you stand with me? And let's worship the Lord together tonight.